We know the truth of the resurrection. It's a fact that happened in history. We could read a Gospel account about the story itself. But like the Catechism, Paul wants to understand what's the implications of the resurrection. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15 where the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth and at quite great length about what the resurrection of Jesus means for us today. So we'll begin our reading at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put his, all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now let's jump down to verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was the height of the Iraq War several years ago when Ruth Dillow received the tragic news that her son, who was fighting in Iraq, had stepped on a landmine and was killed. 
This is what she writes. I can't begin to describe my grief and shock. It was almost more than I could bear. For three days, I wept. For three days, I expressed anger and loss. For three days, people tried to comfort me to no avail because the loss was too great. And you might wonder, why three days? Well, because after three days, she received a phone call. And the voice on the other end said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. Evidently, it was a tragic mistake that they reported to her her son had passed away. So then she writes, I couldn't believe it at first, but then I recognized his voice and he was really alive. She continues, I laughed, I cried, I felt like turning cartwheels because my son, whom I had thought was dead, was really alive. I'm sure none of you can even begin to understand how I felt. Probably true. None of us has been through that kind of a circumstance where for three days you have the worst news of your life and all of a sudden the whole thing turns upside down. But I suspect Jesus' disciples could relate to Ruth's story. Their lives were turned upside down on a Friday afternoon when they watched their Messiah and Lord be crucified and died on a Roman cross. And they thought life as they knew it was over. Only to have three days later, Jesus appears to them in person in the upper room. And He was very much alive. And Jesus' resurrection meant everything to them. But the question is, Sure, it's a fact of history, but this is why people like the Catechism. It's a very practical document. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us today? How does it benefit us today? That's Lord's Day 17. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Let's read the answer together. First, by His resurrection, He has overcome death so that He might make us share in the righteousness He won for us by His death. So Jesus has overcome death. He's robbed death of its fear and of its uncertainty. Death no longer has the final word in our lives. Where it often seems like it does, death is the end, but it's not the end anymore. God says in Isaiah, Hosea 13, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. That's an Old Testament prophecy. And then Paul says in our text, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? By rising from the grave, Jesus took away the sting of death. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Because of Jesus' resurrection, death is no longer just an end. It's now a beginning, a new beginning. It's a new entry, a new door into eternal life. That's what the Catechism says in question and answer 42. Our death puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. So Jesus has overcome death in the physical sense. We will no longer just die, but the moment we die, we are alive in a whole new and different realm. 
But Jesus has also overcome death in the spiritual sense. The resurrection of Jesus means we really are forgiven. It's almost like God was putting his stamp of approval on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So the fear and anxiety of physical death has been conquered, but so is the fear and anxiety about spiritual death, being separated from God, all of our guilt, all of our shame because of who we are and we don't measure up. All of that is canceled now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. The implication is the opposite is also true. If Christ has been raised, our faith is not futile and we are no longer in our sins. That's the good news. A father went through the horrendous experience <clears throat> excuse me, of watching his young daughter die. As tragic and as difficult that was, for him, he says, Easter took on a whole new meaning. This is what he writes. Until you stare death eye to eye, Easter is just a word. A nice day with bunny rabbits and eggs. But when someone so precious to you dies, Easter becomes everything. An anchor in a fierce storm. A rock on which to stand. A hope that raises you above despair and keeps you going. Jesus' resurrection assures us that we are forgiven. So, I have a little illustration for us. I filled a pitcher with some really dirty water. And this represents us in our sin. The Bible says when we are dead in sin, our lives are full of all sorts of awful stuff. Sexual immorality, greed, evil desires, gossip, anger, malice, all these lists of awful, dark things that are true of us at one time or another. So this represents us. So, Jesus died for our sins and all of that junk gets emptied out. And now I see this might not work so well because there's dirt on the bottom. But, so now we're just an empty pitcher, right? Just an empty pitcher. Something has to happen. We, we're, not, we're not in any shape to live for eternity with God. So we have to be filled with something. So the resurrection of Jesus fills us with new life. Now that's not as clear as I was hoping. Illustrations don't always work the way you think they might. But, we're not perfect, right? There's still a little bit of sin mixed in. God's at work in us. But this new life that we've been given is a real deal. It really is. And God is in the process of making us into new people. New creations in Christ. We have Jesus' life, we have his, have his love, we have His joy, we have His peace. With Christ comes all of this good stuff. All of it is given to us because of Jesus' resurrection. So the second way the resurrection makes a difference for us is we are made righteous. 
Paul talks about this in Romans. He says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. It wasn't enough just to pay for our sins. We need the perfect righteousness and holiness of Jesus too. Otherwise, it's sort of like we're half-dressed in a spiritual sense. If you have a, a homeless person who is stinky and smelly, they've spent three weeks in the same clothes, outside with no shower, drinking alcohol, it just reeks. You can give that person a shower and take those old clothes off, but they need some new clothes if they're going to have to go to a wedding banquet, for example. And that's what we're invited to, the wedding banquet of the Lamb. So we need some new spiritual clothes. And thanks be to God, God gives them to us through our faith in Jesus. The Catechism says, By His resurrection He has overcome death so that He might make us share in the righteousness He won for us by His death. So Jesus has overcome death. That's huge for us. We are made righteous and assured of our forgiveness. And then a third way His resurrection makes a difference is that we have new life. Question and answer 45. Let's recite just a part of it. Second, by His power, we too are already now resurrected to a new life. So we are forgiven for the past, but we need power in the present. So the question is, can God really change people? Is it possible for an immoral person to become a moral person? Is it possible for someone who is selfish to truly begin to be other-centered? Is it possible for a cruel person to be kind? Or for a critical person to suddenly be handing out compliments left and right? And the answer is, yes, it is. God demonstrated tremendous power by raising Christ from the dead. And the Bible says that's the power that's available to begin that transforming in us today. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshippers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. There was a time when some of you were just like that. But now your sins have been washed away and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God has done for you. Radical change is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus. Eugene Peterson puts it like this, You don't live in a mechanistic world ruled by necessity. You don't live in a random world ruled by chance. You live in a world ruled by the God of Exodus and Easter. He will do things in you that neither you nor your friends would have supposed possible. Sometimes we think when you become a Christian, 
You're just the same old person. The same old person underneath. Sure, you say you believe in Jesus and you maybe clean yourself up on the outside. Maybe don't use such crude language as much as you used to, but you're pretty much that same old person on the inside. It's like an old antique car. Got a picture of an old antique car. That thing needs a little work. It's rusty. It's got parts that don't work anymore. It's a bit of a wreck. And so that's a picture of us. And some think, well, you, if you become a Christian, it's just like putting a new coat of paint on that old clunker. It's still an old clunker inside. But that isn't a true picture of Christianity. When we give our lives to Christ, something more radical takes place. The new life of Jesus comes into our heart and begins this process that changes us from the inside out. He removes our rust. He replaces those old parts that don't work very well with new parts that do. And so we don't just have a a nice new shiny coat of paint, but next picture, it's like we've been remade into a brand new car. That's the end process. We're not maybe at the very end of that process, but that's the process we're in. That's the good news. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Thanks be to God. Fourth way the resurrection benefits us is it guarantees our resurrection someday. The Catechism says Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our glorious resurrection. What gives a widow hope when they're standing at the grave of their spouse? What hope is there for those who are disabled or handicapped? When a family receives the tragic news that their little daughter has died or their son died of an overdose or their dad was killed in a plane crash, what hope is there? It's the resurrection that gives hope. Because of Jesus' resurrection, that guarantees our resurrection. That guarantees that those who have died in Christ will live again. And for those of us who are in Christ, we will see them again. We will be reunited, not just with Jesus, but with all of these people who are in Him. Jesus died on the Jewish Passover which is why some were so eager to get His body off the cross because the feast was about to begin at sundown. They celebrated Passover from Friday night to Saturday night. On Sunday, another feast began. Actually, Saturday night. That's how they count time. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That feast was when all the people would take the first of their barley harvest And they would offer the very first sheaf of barley to the priests, to God. And by doing so, they were saying, here is the very first barley that I've harvested this year. I'm giving this to God, trusting God is going to provide the rest of the field that hasn't been harvested yet for me and for my family. But I trust Him. I'm giving Him the first part. That's 
the foundational principle of our giving. When we get paid, we don't just take all of the money and use it for everything we want and need. And if there's any left over, well, then we might throw it in the collection plate. No, we give God the first part. That's what tithing is. It's giving God the first. And then we trust that we'll have enough to live on after we've given Him the first part. Just like the Jewish people. Well, the Bible says Jesus represents the first fruits. Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. This concept of the first fruits was key for Paul because it reminds us Jesus was just the first person who was risen from the dead. Many of us are going to follow. All of us who believe in Jesus will follow one day. And that is a wonderful thought for all of us, but especially for those who live with disabilities. In my former church, for several years, we had a, a young adult man who had cerebral palsy and he was in a wheelchair. And we would have honest conversations once in a while and he would share with me how frustrated he was stuck in this wheelchair. It was not the life that he had wished for, but it was his reality. That's the reality of, of someone with that circumstance. A body doesn't work the way it's supposed to. So what hope is there? It's the hope of the resurrection. Because one day, he was looking forward to a day when he would be able to dance and run and walk and use his body in a way he had never been able to use it, just was watching everybody else. That's, that was his hope. Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic. She says, I have hope in the future. The Bible speaks <clears throat> about bodies being glorified. I know the meaning of that now. It's the time after my death when I, the quadriplegic, will be on my feet dancing. That's the difference the resurrection makes. It's seen a little more clearly with someone in that sort of a circumstance, but the same reality is true for all of us. Jesus has overcome death, so we don't have to fear dying. We are made righteous. That old junky part of us has been poured out and we have been filled with the new life of Christ. It's a process of sanctification that continues. And Jesus' resurrection guarantees that I'm going to be resurrected one day. And I'll have a new body and so will you. Fifth way, the resurrection makes a difference. Christ's resurrection motivates us to share the good news. What was the basic message of the angel to the women on that first Easter Sunday? Go and tell the disciples that I'm alive. And then when Jesus met the women on the road, He said, go and tell. And when He appeared to His disciples, and especially just before His ascension, He said, go and make disciples. Go and tell. 
David Rankin used to be the pastor of Fountain Street Church in downtown Grand Rapids, a, a place I wouldn't really call a church. It's more of a, a religious club because they don't really believe the Bible in that church. They don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's just a nice story that provides inspiration, they would say. That's what the people there would say. Well, David Rankin was asked one time, what would you do if the Easter story were really true? This is what he writes. My heavens, if I really believed a person was resurrected from the dead, I'd go around shouting it all over the place, wouldn't I? I mean, that's amazing. I wouldn't just go to church and sing a couple hymns. So, what do we do? Do we believe this is true? Do we just go to church and talk about it and sing a couple Easter songs in October? My daughter was sharing with us today. She just went to a, an evangelism training. And so they were trained how to share the Gospel. They had an illustration from their hand and they were told, don't beat around the bush. Go right to people. And they went door to door in a neighborhood in Grand Rapids and they knocked on someone's door and they said, have you ever heard the good news? And people would go, what good news? Is there something I missed? And then they would go immediately to launch into the story of the Gospel. In a very brief two or three minutes, they would describe the Gospel. And that's what they were trained to do. And she says, Dad, how come more of us aren't doing this? Great question, hon. Great question. Because if it's true, we maybe need to go and tell too. Jesus is alive. That makes a huge difference for me. It makes a huge difference for you. We have all sorts of hope that we wouldn't normally have, and it changed the entire direct trajectory of our lives. It's incredible good news. There really is forgiveness of sins. There really is new life in Christ. There really is a hope for a new and different future for us and for our planet. And there is power for living a new life. All of this is true because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we're overwhelmed sometimes. This story becomes so old to us that it just doesn't have that same punch that it would if it were brand new news. That You are alive and death has been conquered. We are completely forgiven. We have this new life. The old is gone. The new has come. We have this wonderful hope for a marvelous future regardless of what our present feels like right now. And all of us collectively will experience this when we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. It's amazing good news. Thank You for the truth of the Gospel that we know and that we believe. And we pray that Your Spirit would help us find ways to not only believe this deeply in our hearts, but to find ways to help other people believe in it too. In Jesus' name, Amen.